0: You don't have to look far to see how obsessed with purity our culture is, right? With your coffee, for example, to be the purest uh, version of coffee it can be, it needs to be single origin, organically planted, grown and harvested, fairly traded and responsibly packaged uh, to limit the harmful emissions on the environment. Pure coffee, right? Uh, I was talking with Lydia about this, Lydia, my wife, about this obsession uh, that our culture has with purity, and she brought up essential oils. That's where you see it big time, because it's like, don't you dare put jojoba in my eucalyptus, right? And if it sounds like I'm picking on essential oil people, it's only because I definitely am. But I have three fingers pointing back, (laughs) because we're in this Uh, We are definitely in this in my family. We want to eat clean. We want our water to be pure. You should see our water purifier at our house. We actually have a a water filter on our shower head. We don't like uh, GMOs. We want our stuff to be non-GMO. We're in this, uh, but we're not the first, and we will not be the last. You see, every culture and every generation has concerned itself with purity of one kind or another. The search for what's authentic all right? for, for what's real, for what's untampered with, for what's natural, for what's pure, be it in food or music or language or business, education, medicine, government, you name it, just give me the real thing. And while what some deem is pure and authentic, others may disregard and disagree, we all value purity and authenticity to one degree or another. And I would actually argue that this is a God-given inclination Because we're made in God's image with the responsibility to to represent him and his character and his concerns to the world, in the world. And the scriptures tell us that God is concerned with purity. So the question is, does our understanding of and our concern for purity align with God's? Purity from a Christian standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, we we have to understand it first and foremost in light of the purity and holiness of God. Of God. You think about Hannah in her beautiful prayer in 1 Samuel 2, she says, This there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then Isaiah, when he gets his, his famous vision in Isaiah 6 of the Lord high and lifted up. What are the seraphim, those angelic beings calling to one another? They're saying, or as I like to believe, singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, we can't understand who God is apart from his holiness, his his otherness. The fact that he is in and of himself with no help from anything or anyone he has created. He is perfectly pure. He's untainted. He is undefiled. And because of that, we as his image bearers, we are meant to be holy And pure too, reflecting his holiness and purity. It's impossible to read the Old Testament, specifically all the instructions given regarding the the tabernacle and the temple and the priesthood without getting that fact. God wants us to be pure. And then Paul writes to the Philippians in the New Testament, they are to be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now often when we think about Uh, Christian purity, we think about sexual or or sensual purity. And while that is an outworking of what it means to be pure in heart, what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew 5, 8, in the sixth beatitude, is that purity of heart is something so much deeper and all-encompassing. It involves the whole of who we are from the inside out. Purity of heart. Now, maybe you're listening today and... Like, generally speaking, you feel good about the the purity and authenticity of your life. I mean, you're you're faithful to your spouse. You're honest, and you have integrity in your career. Uh, You're engaged, and you participate within the life of our faith family. When others see you, they see a wholesome, clean, and, and good person. They see the real deal. Or maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. You're like, nope, that is not me. You do not feel generally good about the purity, authenticity of your own life. You've made some big time mistakes, right? And regardless of, of, of who knows or how many people know or don't know about the mistakes you've made, you feel ashamed. You're far from being blameless or innocent or without blemish. And you wonder how could a, a holy and pure God accept and use me in his kingdom in any way? No matter where you find yourself today, on that spectrum whether you feel good or bad about your purity this small verse is for you no matter where you find yourself today you need to be both humbled and uplifted and encouraged by this text no matter where you find yourself today the good life is for you blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God Three questions as we consider that truth this morning. Three questions for us today. First of all, what is a pure heart? Like what are we talking about when we say pure in heart? Secondly, how do we get a pure heart? And thirdly, why should we want a pure heart? So, what is a pure heart? How do we get a pure heart? And and why is that something we should even want? Why should we want a pure heart? Uh, Before we answer that first question, we need to know just a little bit about how the Bible uses the word heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it refers to the, the center of our being. Even though we often think about the heart in terms of our emotions or our affections, it's so much more than that. Our hearts, biblically speaking, have to do with our thoughts and our emotions and our choices, what we think, what we feel, what we will to do. Now, otherwise, we would need to take this beatitude as saying, Blessed are those with pure emotions or pure affections. But that's not what it says, and that's not how the Bible talks about the heart. It says, Blessed are those who are pure in their thinking, in their feeling, and in their choosing. Blessed are those who have a pure inner self or inner nature. So then, again, back to our first question what is a pure heart then? If we understand what heart means, what does it mean to have a pure heart? What is this verse saying? I wanna wanna give you two qualities of a pure heart that that go together. And there's obviously a a whole lot more that could be said and so these two qualities aren't meant to be exhaustive. Uh, A pure pure heart isn't limited to 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 these two things, but a pure heart can never be less than these two things. Okay, so two qualities of a pure heart. A pure heart is an undefiled heart and a pure heart is an undivided heart pure heart is an undefiled heart, and a pure heart is an undivided heart. So first, it's an undefiled heart. It's a heart that is uncontaminated. And we all know what contamination is, right? Because of this pandemic, we're all wearing masks here, avoiding contamination, uh, I'm just guessing, is more part of your daily life than it ever has been, avoiding contamination. So we know what that means, but I want to give you a different example. We're all tired of talking about coronavirus. Uh, so maybe uh, many of you know that we recently bought a house up in Guntown, out in the woods, uh, which of course has its advantages and, and disadvantages, living out in the sticks. And uh, one disadvantage we discovered when we filled up our bathtub. And let me tell you, it was straight up brown. Uh, and now I, being the eternal optimist, I tried to tell Lydia, look, it's just, it's just the way the light comes in and like kind of re- reflects off of the, the green walls surrounding the bathtub and it just gives it that earthy hue. Uh, and then you mix that with all those minerals that, are, that, are, that fill up the, the richness of the guntown soil. And so all of that comes together and she's like, yeah, no, it's just dirty water. And of course she's right, like it's dirty water. It was not clean, it was contaminated. A pure heart is undefiled because it doesn't look like the poorhouse bathwater. Uh, It's undefiled, and and we know that too because of the blessing attached to this condition. If God is perfect in his purity, as we sang together earlier, and in his presence, there can be nothing unclean in any way, then the ones who get to see God, the only ones, are those with a pure, undefiled, uncontaminated, clean heart. A pure heart is undefiled, but that's a problem for us because the Bible says that our hearts are defiled by nature Jeremiah 17 verse 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it and that's a problem in and of itself uh, but it leads to another problem verse 10 of Jeremiah 17 I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds uh oh like, our hearts are by nature sick. They are unclean and defiled, and unless they are cleansed and undefiled, then we have no hope of living the good life unless they are cleansed. We have no hope of seeing God. Let's pray. I'm kidding, no. no that's not where we're leaving it. <laughs> uh, as I said, we are meant to be encouraged by this text, but we are also meant to be Humbled by this text. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do here. Should we want to understand what purity of heart really means, he's inviting us to be humbled by the impurity we find when we willingly examine our hearts. The second quality of a pure heart, as I mentioned, is an undivided heart. And this has to do with the first quality of an undefiled heart and the way it fleshes that out. And here's what I mean pure heart is an undefiled heart, and the evidence that that cleansing took place and is continuing to take place is increasing increasing devotion to the Lord alone. In other words, a cleansed heart continues to grow in purity by becoming increasingly undivided in devotion to God. When a teacher tells a classroom he or she wants their undivided attention— That means the teacher doesn't want there to be anything competing for the student's attention. My teachers had to tell me this all the time. There's a singular focus desired by the teacher. Now, when I think of singular focus, I think of a basketball player, my favorite basketball player, a man by the name of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Some of you are like, "Eh, what? Yeah, that's his name. He's from Greece. He's otherwise known as the Greek freak. He's a forward for the Milwaukee Bucks. Some of you know I'm a huge Bucks fan, lived up in Wisconsin for... Almost seven years. Giannis is an all star, has been an all star for four of the six seasons he's been in the league. He's the reigning NBA MVP. He's the favorite to be the MVP again this year, and he's only 25 years old. And while all that's impressive, the quality that gets talked about most by sports writers and TV personalities is Giannis's single minded, undivided drive to win. He doesn't buddy up with uh, other players on different teams in the league during the off season. He works out like 23 hours a day. He doesn't get into trouble off the court. He doesn't get embroiled in social media battles. He is undivided in his drive to win. In fact, he recently posted a picture of himself down in Orlando. They're gonna start the season back uh, down in Orlando pretty soon. He posted a picture of himself uh, getting down there and all the picture says is locked in. Like, that's, that's Giannis, I love that about him. Uh, Likewise, a heart that is pure, at the risk of sounding cheesy, bear with me, it's locked in on the Lord. A pure heart is undivided. It's the kind of heart that David prays for in Psalm 86, when he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Bring all of my thoughts and feelings and choices together as one to have a singleness and an undividedness and a unity of devotion. May I not be distracted by what would compete for my attention and my affection and my aspiration. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus says this later in Matthew 22. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, it's here that we run into another problem. (laughs) As we've already seen, our hearts are spoiled, contaminated, defiled, impure. They need to be cleansed and made pure and holy. And we know this experientially by the way our hearts are divided. We love God and money. We love God and power. We love God and notoriety. We love God and our health. We love God and country. We love God and government. We love God and, boy, do we love being right. We love God and fill in the blank. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying, because this text is not saying, that we can't have a healthy love for other things, be that your family or your job or whatever. But it is to say that our love or devotion for other things, they have to be brought under the banner of our all-encompassing love and devotion to the Lord. Otherwise, that thing, whatever it is, would be competing for our love and devotion to the Lord. So ask yourself this question: what is it that tempts you to be divided in your heart? And for some of you, when you examine your own life, it's as easy to point out and see as dirty bathwater. It's right there in front of you. On the other hand, if you find it hard to see where your heart is divided, maybe it's because your idea of purity mostly has to do with what you do, how you look on the outside, how you appear to others. You've tailored your image in order to be perceived by others as a pure person. Rest assured, we are all by nature defiled and divided in our hearts. By nature, our hearts are not pure. And that's what we learn by answering the first question, what is a pure heart? By learning that a pure heart is Meant to be undefiled and undivided in devotion, we have to be honest and admit that we just don't have that. Like, I, I know when I consider my thoughts and my feelings and my choices, I cannot say that in and of myself I'm undefiled and undivided, pure and holy. So folks, this should humble us. But fortunately, there is somewhere to go from here. A second question. How do we get a pure heart? We know what a pure heart is. How do I get it? How do we get that which we're not born with? Well, the answer is a pure heart. The kind of heart that Jesus is talking about in this beatitude, it has to be granted to us and it has to be grown in us. A pure heart has to be granted to us and it has to be grown in us. So first and foremost, it has to be granted to us, And it follows naturally that, that a pure heart has to be granted to us when we believe what Jeremiah says, that the heart is deceitful above all things. So we have to be granted that pure heart. But it's important to also understand that our deceitful and impure hearts, they actually have to be removed and replaced with undefiled pure hearts. It's heart surgery, folks. Two books over from Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Israel is given this promise by the Lord. You've probably heard this before. Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26. It says, I will sprinkle you with clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Do you see the connection there? The only way to be cleansed in our hearts, to be made made pure in our hearts, is to be granted entirely new hearts. Now this text, Ezekiel 36, it's one of the most famous foretellings of the new covenant that Jesus would usher in for his people, a new means by which the people of God would come to know him and love him and serve him. I want you to just, just imagine for a second, whatever you need to do to do that, close your eyes, whatever, just imagine, use your imagination. Imagine that you're among those who'd followed Jesus around uh, as he began his public ministry and you'd, you'd witnessed these incredible things, that his compassion and his power, there's just something entirely different about this man that anyone you, you'd ever known or seen and now he, as he begins to teach the Sermon on the Mount, you're just, you're hanging on every word. He's making these incredible and hopeful statements of blessing and promise. And then he says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You turn to your brother or sister or mom or dad or husband or wife or whomever. And you say, could it be I mean, really? Could it be that he's about to make our dreams of Ezekiel 36 come true? Oh, if Granny or Paul could see this, right? Like, these are the stories you were told as a young child growing up in Galilee, that one day the king would come he'd give us all new hearts. Now, of course, if you had been there uh, to hear the words of Jesus, you'd have no way of knowing how he would make those dreams come true. But we know, we know that Jesus came to die. That though he was fully God, he was also fully man, fully human. And he did what no human had ever done or will ever do, and that is to live a perfectly pure life. Because his heart was never defiled and it was never divided. And so he went to the cross. And he died. And on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God, the punishment we all deserve for the rebellion of our defiled and divided hearts. And so the Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as pure and perfect. And he was risen in power. And he rules and reigns over all that he has created now. And now all those who run to him and abandon the false purity and authenticity and satisfaction that the world has to offer and throw themselves on the mercy of God, Of Jesus, they are granted pure hearts. For those of you who have trusted in the forgiveness of your sins, trusted in Jesus, remember that today. Be encouraged by that today. You have been granted a new and pure heart. You didn't earn it, and you can never lose it. Remember that today. Ah, If you have not trusted, and Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection that we want to urge you. We want to plead with you to do that today. The reality is you will not find real purity and with that lasting peace and hope apart from Christ. Don't look to what the world tells you is the path to the good life. And don't listen to any Christian who tells you that simply by following the rules and engaging in religious rituals that that's the path to the good life. Otherwise, you'll be no different than the Pharisees. And what did Jesus say about their hearts, about their inner selves in Matthew 23? Listen to this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside also may be clean." So, for those of you who haven't trusted in Christ, come to Christ if you don't know Him. And first receive what He promises to grant you. A pure heart has to be granted to us. And then a pure heart has to be grown in us, which God will also do. The purity that God grants is the purity that God will grow. The purity that He grants is the purity that He will grow. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the only difference between the granting of our pure hearts and the growing of our pure hearts is that we get to take part in the growing. Like instruments in the great gardener's hands. I didn't say tools because I didn't want to call y'all tools, even though it's more in keeping with the gardening metaphor, whatever. Instruments in the great gardener's hands. We have an active participation in our own growth, James 4:8 Listen to it here draw near to God this is active and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded You see the connection there we actively work to become more and more purified by becoming less and less double minded or less and less divided in our devotion and how do we do that Psalm one nineteen answers and asks that question. uh, asks and answers that question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We draw near to God and we grow in purity by guarding ourselves with His word, storing up His word in our hearts. And when we hear that, it's, it's, it's natural and, and right for us to think about personal Bible reading, right? We need to be as individuals and families with our spouses and with our children reading the word, memorizing the word, internalizing the word. But folks, we also can't miss that our personal devotion to the Lord and his word can never be divorced from our corporate or from our collective devotion to the lord and to his word. Colossians 3 talks about how the word of Christ comes to dwell in us richly as we what as we gather through the teaching of the word and I'll admit my personal favorite I'm a little biased the singing of his word our gatherings are special in helping the word of Christ dwell in us richly and when we don't commit to gathering with one another the truth is, we are depriving ourselves of the purity God wants to grow in us. It's just true. I don't know about you, but I felt it big time when we took our hiatus a few weeks ago, or a few months ago now. I know God was still moving and working in our church, and that he was faithful, and he was still moving and working in my life, but there was something missing. And It was like eating pancakes without syrup. Like, who does that? And then it was like a spark was ignited when we started gathering again. Health concerns or job situations aside, folks, we should all be committed to gathering together, come hell or high water. We are going to gather for the sake of our purity. Now, as we grow in purity of heart by filling our hearts with His Word, that purity should make its way into our hands, what we, what we do. We should be pure in our actions, be it purity in our sexuality, purity in our careers, or here's a tough one, purity in the way we engage with one another on social media. How are you doing with that? I want, I want you to examine your life this morning. Consider the ways in which your hands are not pure. Hands being a metaphor for actions, what we do. Now, what do you think you would see and experience if you could be on the other side of you? It's a good question we all need to ask ourselves. What would you see and experience if you could be on the other side of you, subject to your own actions and words? But then, of course, we have to go deeper and ask this question. What has divided your heart in such a way that you behave in that way? Because only recognizing what defiles and divides our hearts will we be able to grow impurity from the inside out. Not like the Pharisees who cleaned the outside but not the inside. Now we can apply this on a much broader scale too. Lately, I don't think I have to tell you, there's been a lot of talk about and attention paid to systemic sin in our society. And specifically systemic racism. And by that I mean Simply, the sin of racism has seeped into our systems, our government, our laws, our our courtrooms. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, after all, who makes up those systems? Is sinful humans, right? Sinful humans who have historically always brought along their sinful baggage into the systems of the world. If those systems are made by sinful humans, we shouldn't be surprised that there's going to be sin there. I mean, the fact that abortion is legal in our country proves that point. It's the systemic sin of murder. Now hear me when I say, we as Christians, we should seek to make our world and its systems more pure, less murderous, and divisive, more equal. However, hear this too. We would be foolish, foolish to think that we're truly addressing The biggest problem of our world simply by protesting, petitioning, campaigning, or voting. Because as as important as those things might be, they don't really address the more sinister nature of sin. Here's the reality sin doesn't need broken systems or corrupt governments or unjust laws in order to thrive, sin doesn't need the widespread prevalence of racism or abortion in order to thrive all sin needs in order to thrive is one heart that's willing to love it if you don't believe me just ask Adam after all as Martin Lloyd-Jones says it was in paradise that man fell it was in a perfect environment that he first went wrong so to put man in a perfect environment cannot solve his problems our enemy does his most devastating damage, not in the systems, governments, and nations of our world, but in the quiet darkness of our very own hearts. Because it's there that the seed of impurity, of a defiled and divided love, is planted and grows. Now, we should be about seeing the world become a more pure, more authentic world, but we do that primarily by addressing what cannot be addressed through social or political or systemic change. The world will only become more truly pure when our hearts become more truly pure. God has always been and will always be concerned, first and foremost, with our hearts. They would be undefiled and undivided in devotion to him and he will grant and grow that purity for the hearts that turn to him in Christ. But then that begs this question, third question for today. Why should we want pure hearts? Why should we want pure hearts? I mean, how does a pure heart give me the good life? The answer is that there is no better life than seeing God. There is no better life than seeing and and experiencing and being with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Another way to word, that is, the pure in heart shall see God, therefore they are, you can participate here, blessed, therefore they are blessed, for they shall see God. Psalm 24 is the primary basis for this beatitude. It was our call to worship, but I want you to see it at work here, influencing this beatitude. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive what? Blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Those with pure hearts seek after God, and those who seek after God find God, and those who find God see God, and those who see God are blessed. The blessings for those who have pure hearts. And they get to see and experience God in his perfect power, love, and purity. Again, just one more time, I want you to imagine that you're there in the crowd listening to Jesus. And you're being told that you're gonna get to do what even the, the heroes of your people didn't get, to, didn't get to do. I mean, even Moses only saw the back of the Lord at Mount Sinai. So you would have been astounded to hear that with a pure heart, you're gonna get to, you're gonna get to see God but again, you, if you were there, you wouldn't have known what we know now. Because we know how Jesus finally and completely secured a way for his people to be blessed by God in his presence. The church family, this is why we should want pure hearts and why we should rejoice that God has granted us pure hearts. Through the death of Jesus and the tearing of that curtain in the temple, God's Spirit has given us access to the very presence of the one who is perfect in power, love, and purity. And this is the great hope of the gospel, the hope that we have and the hope that we offer to the world. The only prerequisite for seeing God in his glory and grace is a pure heart. Jesus didn't say, Blessed are the religious, blessed are the rich. Blessed are the successful. Blessed are the intelligent. Blessed are the popular. Blessed are the tall, dark, and handsome. Thank God for that. If you have a heart, and all image bearers do, then you can have the good life. If you have a heart, then you can have the good life. The promise is for you, regardless of where you come from, and regardless of the mistakes that you've made. Jesus gives those of us who have trusted in him the good life of seeing God, of opening the eyes of our hearts to experience and enjoy his presence. Because of Jesus, we see his beauty in nature in a way that the world simply cannot. We see his faithfulness at work in our lives to give us peace and joy even in the midst of suffering and sorrow. And we see and experience him and his presence in a unique and special way In our church, through the the grace and love we receive from our brothers and sisters. And that's the good life. But folks, our best life is yet to come. We see him only partially now, but one day, we're going to see him face to face. Listen to 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. When Christ returns for us, as he has promised that he will, he will finally and perfectly purify us. So that we'll safely see and experience God for all eternity And far from being like pie in the sky kind of thinking, this blessed hope that we have, that's what compels us to strive with joy for purity right now. Because we do so with our eyes fixed on the ultimate blessing of seeing God perfectly and fully. Each generation of humans, they've they've sought purpose in life from pursuing that which is pure, authentic, real, undefiled. And what this one little verse tells us is why this is a God-given pursuit and how he fulfills that pursuit. See, God has instilled within each of our hearts a desire for perfect purity, a desire that can and will only be fulfilled by seeing and and experiencing him in his perfect purity. Then and only then will our lives be perfectly undefiled and undivided, free of sin, sorrow, disappointment, regret, worry, shame, and pain. They will be no more. And what could be better than that?